0: Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence. And today we welcome to the show Linda McClatchy to discuss all things pelvic floor. Linda has been in practice as a physiotherapist for 24 years and opened the Elevation Physiotherapy and Wellness Clinic in Mississauga, Ontario in 2017. She has extensive training in musculoskeletal and pelvic health physiotherapy, and is credentialed in the McKenzie System of Mechanical Diagnosis and Therapy, MDT, and teaches the system at the University of Toronto. Linda has completed several advanced training courses in pelvic health to address issues with pelvic pain, incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, and numerous other conditions. We met Linda just a few weeks ago and knew immediately that we would love to have her on the show. So Linda, welcome to the Move Daily Health podcast. Thank
2: you very
0: much. So Linda, the first time I heard of pelvic floor physiotherapy was when I was actually dealing with a low back and hip issue about 15 years ago. I'd say that unless people had needed it, it didn't seem like a very common or well-known thing at the time. That has changed, I feel, but you've been in it for a very long time. So I'm curious, what got you into pelvic floor physiotherapy to begin with?
2: Okay. Well, the possibly too honest answer to that is the clinic where I used to work. I'd been for a long time and there was another physio there who who was starting to take courses. We don't learn this kind of thing in school. Even today, there's like half a day that is spent in talking pelvic health work. So I'm super pleased that you even were familiar with it 15 years ago, when I graduated, it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And, and, or maybe it did, but it certainly wasn't at all common. And it was very, very nichey. but I would say patient-wise, even five years ago, three years ago, 80% of the people who got in front of me did so out of their own research or word of mouth and and now it is way more like the tipping point has come and and there are way more doctors and specialists and that that are referring and are more educated and their doctors are a a bit of a tough crowd to to try and educate at least from me I will ask every patient that I see when they get back to their doctor to talk about it and and the more they hear about that kind of thing from their own patients the more they'd want to learn or read or at least follow-up uh, for referrals. But anyway, to answer your question of like several minutes ago, uh, so the the woman who who did pelvic health work at the time, she left the clinic, uh, not in the best way. And so I was really quite angry, but there there was a need that needed to be filled. So basically, I got into pelvic health work only because she left and there were just a bunch of people that needed to be seen. So when I did start taking the courses, I loved it. And and there is such a huge huge need for it that you you know, it's just it it's just kind of rolled from there.
0: That's fantastic.
2: And I will elaborate that I was referred to a bunch of different specialists and ultimately a physiatrist
0: is the one who referred me to one. He's like, "Have you heard oh. of this?" Hmm. And uh yeah, she was on the other side of town. So I was like, "Okay, so there's one." <laughs>
1: So I think it's a common misconception, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that pelvic floor physios are pretty much just for women postpartum. So that's kind of the impression I had before I think I even heard you speak a few weeks ago. So what percentage of your clients are actually male or unrelated to pregnancy?
2: Okay, I would say many of my clients are male, probably 50% of my population is male and i love those guys most of them every male who's had a, their prostate removed are incontinent for a time that makes sense and it is a marathon you know those guys are not like it will be at least 6 months before they are continent again and and i don't see a more motivated person than a man who leaks you know and there is so much they can do to move it along faster and now again to the previous point I will see guys who there's a bunch of urologists who will send their guys to me and I don't want to see them till they've had the catheter out for a month and then we can then we can just go okay. it's great right. so I get them early now and their surgical techniques are way better than they were even just a few years ago now there's um most men are uh have their prostatectomy robotically so it's less invasive and it's still super invasive you're still losing an organ but um but the recovery is better and faster uh both externally and internally uh, there's a sphincter between, there's two actually, but um, uh, between the bladder and the urethra. Mm-hmm. And, and so that takes time to heal, as well as the external incisions and whatever. Um, they're much smaller now with, um, with the robotic surgeries. So yeah, I still do see uh, some men who had their surgery however many years ago, and they will still leak. And just technique-wise, with the prostatectomy, it's interesting because you, you know that you need nerves to go and, and feed all the muscles and the organs and whatever. You need proper nerve function for the, the organs or muscles to, to work and fire properly. And it used to be they would just go in when they took out the, um, the prostate, they cut everything. And uh, so there are different nerves between that help the bladder and that help with erection and that help with ejaculation. And they would get rid of all of them. Oh man. So, so like best case scenario, you're cancer free, of course, but you are going to be incontinent and have erectile dysfunction for the rest of your life. So their techniques are much better now. Mm -hmm. And, and every man again, after surgery will be incontinent and have erectile dysfunction, but Uh, they can spare the nerves now their techniques are so much better that they can spare the nerves in lots of cases there's a right side and a left side so even if they they damage it on one side then they still have part of it and that's super helpful yeah so that's all good news the other part with women I talk a lot. Uh, it's the, good. This, this is why we wanted want you on the show. <laughs> good, okay. So you have a lot of good stuff to say. <laughs> with um, with older women, and sometimes not even older women, like mm-hmm. postpartum women, childbirth is is trauma. And if yeah. if some women have a long pushing stage, then they can prolapse uh, their bladder, or their uterus, which means that it starts to descend into the vagina and and same with older women either not just women who've had babies but statistically 50 percent of women who've had babies uh, as they get older will have some prolapse Mm -hmm. you know plus just bottom line everything kind of stretches out or loosens up Mm -hmm. as as life goes on so so there is really no downside to working the pelvic floor because it acts as kind of external support and just tightening up things in that region as well.
1: So it sounds like there are two major populations who you see the most being postpartum and prostatectomy clients. Are there any other populations specifically who are at risk for pelvic floor issues?
2: Yeah, women, as I said, uh, prolapse is really very common as well. I would say, uh, relatively speaking, I don't see as many young uh, mm-hmm. people even with kids who who've who have a prolapse, but older women, lots of older women um, will have a prolapse. Mm-hmm. and And it's not painful, but they will feel a real pressure or heaviness in their vagina. Mm-hmm. You get the odd person that literally doesn't like to stand much, like when they're lying down or they're sitting and things are kind of supported, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But the longer they're on their feet, yeah. And it starts to descend, and then they feel it. And so they, I would see lots of women who work in bakeries or stores like that where they right. are on their feet all day long, yeah. and that's their job. Chefs, uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know, there's lots. But, but people that have desk-type jobs yeah. through, like, day in and day out can generally manage it better. But yes, lots yeah. to do with that kind of thing to be yeah, helpful. Because everything
0: can kind of stretch out or just it's kind of like the foot. Like the foot gets tired. So does the pelvic floor throughout the course of the day if you're mm-hmm. standing all day. Um, with that said, can we give the listeners a just a quick debrief on how to tell if they have a weak pelvic floor or a strong pelvic floor? Like little things that they could just walk themselves through to test sure. as they
2: listen. Okay. So... It would be fair to say with the pelvic floor group of muscles, they are pretty completely ignored by most until people have a problem. So there are there are lots of people again who who they they don't know how to do a proper a pelvic floor contraction, it's called a Kegel because Arnold Kegel back whenever, um, was the guy who first started paying attention to these muscles and doing some work with those. So the
1: and I'm just going to jump in right now. So a Kegel is something that both men and women can do, not Absolutely. just for women.
2: Correct. Okay. Yes. Nice point, Dane, um, because the, the pelvic floor group of muscles are the same. There's, there's, a, there's three layers of pelvic floor muscles, and the deeper two are the same there's a little difference in the superficial packaging. But on the whole, like functionally, they are the same. So yes, absolutely, men and women need to work on their pelvic floors. So a, a proper pelvic floor contraction, it's a lift. So what I would say to patients, because I want their brain to be thinking about this kind of thing, too, I want their brain to stay engaged. So I would say, you know, you've got some sort of ping pong ball or marble or something like that sitting right outside your vagina or your your rectum and you are lifting it inside so weird as that sounds it is it's a lift or if it works better for people i would say it is the same lift if you are peeing and you stop the flow but
0: (laughs) that's for show (laughs) not for like a regular thing, right right? yeah exactly like
2: if you if you are peeing and you stop the flow every now and again to see if you can fine but as you know repeated kegels practice training that kind of thing don't keep stopping the flow of urine I'm good with the imagery but not the actual practice while you are peeing yeah so that would be That would be a proper contraction. And then like every other muscle, the the group is comprised of fast and slow twitch fibers. And so you'd want to do some power moves like pulses where it's just like a a second or two on and then a second or two relax and repeat that. Uh, And then there's something you could the same lift exactly, but you'd want to hold it for a count of maybe five seconds to start and then a second or two rest and do several repetitions and build it up to 10 or 15 second holds. So shorter and longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that think of the the pelvic floor group of muscles as the base of the core. So the core that everyone talks about, you've got your front abdominal muscles, um, you've got your oblique abdominals on the sides, and you've got your deep back muscles. and and. They make this canister collectively, and then the, the pelvic floor is the base of that. So if you think of that as the support system for the rest of the core, maybe that for some people just makes it a little more important to, to think about working in life, that. and they all kind of blend together with connective tissue. The mm-hmm. second layer of pelvic floor muscles uh, blend very directly with your lower abdominals. And you can do, if you're doing any kind of core work, you can do that core work and in any particular exercise and your pelvic floor doesn't move. If you engage your pelvic floor and do your core work with that, it builds a better core. Mm-hmm. And the pro professional athletes know this and they, cause they're the ones that follow the research, right? And, and so a lot of professional athletes spend a good bit of time with their pelvic floor now.
1: That's great. Now, let's take that a step further because I've also heard that it's also possible to overdo things. So can you talk to mm. us a little bit about maybe people who lift excessively and create a hypertonicity within the pelvic floor?
2: That's a, you think that's an easy question. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> no, we didn't. That's why we wanted to ask it though.
2: <laughs> so I would say, I guess I have kind of two thoughts on that because I don't know that if you keep using your pelvic floor, that you would create a hypertonicity in the way that you're you're thinking in that, you know, if you're doing a ton of bicep curls, you know, if whatever reason you just go out and do like eight sets of like heavy, low bicep curls and you're dying, it's not like when you put the weight down, you can't straighten out your arm. You know what I mean? It's not like it stays tight and engaged. And it's the same with your pelvic floor. So you can work that consistently. And it's not going to stay tight in that way. But there are a lot of people, and and it's a brain thing. And it's not psychological, it's physiological. But it's like their brain learns to keep their pelvic floor somewhat engaged consistently. And sometimes that's a a Stress management strategy. Sometimes people who have issues with anxiety, they they keep their pelvic floor just more engaged. Or
1: yeah, so they're, they're walking around with like a tight brace all the time, like they're brace for a big lift, like all the time as they're yeah, walking around.
2: Yeah, and that's not normal. Like it's you know like any other muscle, your your normal resting position as you're sitting still or lying down or even walking around, your pelvic floor should stay pretty relaxed. Yeah. And it's not that. So the people that have it being tight, that they have issues with that. It's not like they can't do a Kegel. Like it's not fully a hundred percent engaged all the time. But it would be, you know, twenty percent engaged all the time. It'd be like you walking around with your fist clenched a bit all day long, you know. So so it's that. And people that have uh, that just keep it tight and and their brain has kind of learned to keep it there they will often have issues with uh, urinary frequency or urgency so and and those people or sometimes you'll get people that they they have a a weak pelvic floor and they need to strengthen that but they have difficulty letting it go so Mm -hmm. they could engage and do a kegel But it takes them 5 or 10 seconds to release that, and that's not typical either. You should be able to just turn your muscles on and off as required. So those people would learn to do a reverse Kegel, which is the – it is not any kind of active pushing down or bearing down. It is more just the – the purposeful release or relaxation through those muscles. It is just letting it go and learning how to do that and take some breaths around that to yeah. kind of keep it there. It's training the brain as much as it is training yeah. training the muscles. I've found a, a number of women who
0: are in the population of high anxiety but also prior hip instability or hip injury or low back injury. Um, they tend to be the ones that sort of lock down a little bit more through there but even through their hip so they start to limit like with a low back injury we Mm. can see a lot of them stop moving through their hips quite as well it's like everything is just slightly on guard why does cueing the pelvic floor often involve food do you have any insight into that because we liked that you used a ping pong ball right and for years i've been told things like blueberry or
2: hold a i don't know what there I don't know why that is. I I assume just because it's like small and round. So people but I I will not use food analogies that just ooh that grosses me out. Yeah, so I some people might have issues with the um, with a ping pong ball because that maybe is on the big side of things. Like, I don't know, but,
1: but so am I supposed to get it all the way marble? In? Yeah,
0: <laughs> go to Thailand for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is this a jade egg? So oh,
0: yes. That part actually was something else you touched on when we met you. You did speak about the jade eggs because now, of course. Uh, we actually recently spoke to Dr. Jen Gunter as well. And it, it's become popular on the internet because as soon as you, you know, a few people really get onto this thing, they think that that's a key thing in order, like, now I need to lift a surfboard in right. order to prove it. Did you it see that I, picture too? I did. Online, that, I was, that artist uh, yeah. woman? Yeah, that's I weird.
2: That, uh, yeah, thank I'd you. I try not to judge very much and <laughs> no, that sounded no. really judgy, but that's just odd. odd. It and is so odd. not needed, that kind of thing. There, strength.
0: that's more the point. It's like even, you know, I mean, we see crazy uh, feats in a multitude of domains, but this one was just... to me kind of bizarre and when it gets spread that widely people then get the idea that this is like oh well if they can do a surfboard I should at least be able to do a I don't know full kettle Yes. which just like (laughs) is still not necessary right so it's with these tissues they need you need to be able to switch them on do pulses and do holds and have good control of them but they don't need to necessarily hypertrophy to lift no load no
2: yeah not in the same way no I just went uh, this past week. Dr. Gunter was talking in Oakville yes. on her. B- yeah. Did you guys go to that? No, we spoke to her that morning. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so I went That's that good. evening yeah. to see her. She so, saw us, and then she saw you. <laughs> there you go. She <laughs> went over to Oakville. The um, yeah. So her book, The Vagina Bible, yes. so that, good. Yeah, yes. yeah. I've I've started it, so I haven't finished it yet. But mm. uh, yeah, to the vagina is a self-cleaning oven Mm -hmm. don't put stuff in there that is not not a penis well and well lubricant (laughs) or um yeah yeah, fingers uh things like that that can be no food yeah no no food no food that's right (laughs) that's awesome um
1: it's funny that we have to tell people this
2: (laughs) come on true now now i've forgotten your question um (laughs) You had another
0: great cue that was instead of food. I think it was stopping your poop. Was that another cue?
2: So the pelvic floor group, they go right from the pubic bone on the front to the tailbone at the back. And and so these muscles kind of sling underneath and they wrap around the holes. But with men, and when I do an internal assessment with men, it has to be rectally. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking at women, it could be vaginally or rectally, depending on what's going on. But... For people that have incontinence, urinary incontinence, we're more directly interested in the front aspect of those muscles, right? So I guess with women, when we say even lift in the ping pong ball or the marble or or the blueberry, which you won't hear from us, but something like that, it's more focusing on the front aspect. Whereas men, they'll learn to hold in a fart, you know, or, or to pull in a marble or something, but, but usually it's the fart thing that resonates nicely of course, with them. Yes. Of course, <laughs> we've all but done it, before. it is the same. <laughs> it is the same lift, right? Okay. So I guess my point is a proper complete Kegel should be both the front and the back. So again, to use any other muscle, if you're doing bench press and it's, you're working your pecs, and then you go and you do incline flies, you're just, you're focusing on a different aspect of your same pecs. So same. It's not like if you're engaging at the back or you're thinking more anally that the front part's totally relaxed, but you can work it more directly if you're thinking both front and back right. at the same time. So. Men, I tend to, they are very good on the whole at engaging the back part and need to work and learn to do the front part. And women can be the opposite. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Has your patient population changed over the years at all in terms of who you see and why you're seeing them?
2: I would say in terms of who I see, to your earlier point, it used to be, I would say, a lot more postpartum women, because I think in part other populations, the older women with Mm -hmm. issues with prolapse and certainly men, they didn't know that there was help that could happen. So I see way more of those people now. That's great Um, that it's evolved like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, And as I've said before, most people, even just a few years ago, got in front of me through their own research. And now I see way more direct referrals from docs. So why that's great is, is it's faster. You know, I used to get a lot of people who had had their problem, maybe years, and didn't know that there was something they could do about it, or even their doctor, if they chose to talk to their doctor about it, then their doctor even go, "Mm, I don't know what to tell you, you know, and and so now, now people are often seen faster mm-hmm. and they don't have to struggle for years. So, yeah, so great. much better.
1: So outside of those major populations, can you maybe tell us how, you know, maybe if somebody has hip pain or low back pain, how those can be an indicator that the pelvic floor is actually where the root of the problem is?
2: Sure. Yes. So I see tons of people with back issues, mm-hmm. probably the most common thing I see. And and back pain is not back pain is not back pain, and and somebody could have a pretty similar location of pain as somebody else, and what helps person A makes person B feel worse. Mm-hmm. So there is no cookie cutter approach uh, to managing back issues, and I have learned like well I. Research tells you that there is a large correlation between lower back issues and pelvic floor dysfunction. Not to make it sound like every person with back issues has pelvic floor dysfunction, nor does every person with pelvic floor dysfunction have lower back issues. But there is a large correlation. So if somebody comes to me who has back issues, I will now ask everybody if they are having any issues with incontinence, if they have any pain in that area. You know, often the answer is no, they haven't noticed any change. Um, Sometimes when the answer is yes, it would be because of medication, you know, that might bind them up as a, yeah. uh, um, you know, as a result of that, as opposed to a true pelvic floor yeah. dysfunction. But, but yeah, sometimes you, you'll get people that say, oh, yeah, th- this has changed. And they wouldn't have thought to mention yeah, it on too. their own. And, and they wouldn't know that it would be at all related. So again, there's lots of, you know, pelvic pain, can come from a variety of things. It's not necessarily just pelvic floor, but because the, the spine and the pelvis and the, the muscles that work all around there, you know, it's very tied to the gut and digestion, medication, even how you sleep. I don't mean necessarily positionally. I mean like how well you are sleeping. All of that can have an influence on your pelvic floor. Absolutely. Breathing and the pressure system. Yes. So yeah, I I guess it starts with questions to them because if they're coming to me for pain, then that's typically what they would be expecting to address. But yeah, if you're working with someone's back and they get better, 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 and then they don't seem to get, better beyond that mm-hmm. for non-mechanical reasons, then I might want to look at their pelvic floor. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Now we, we will usually, um, integrate any sort of trunk work with breathing and integrate that with the feet as well. Is that something that you touch on with your patients when training their pelvic floors?
2: Absolutely. Yes. Because in life, your pelvic floor, never ever 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 works on its own it always mm-hmm. works with other parts of your core mm-hmm. and to move you around through space you know the power needs yeah. to come from your outer butt and then yes. which it so often doesn't right and then so often. yes and also like the butt and the inner thighs yeah. uh the lower abs they are all important depending on what you're doing as mm-hmm. stabilizers and and yeah. and mobilizers so, yes, <laughs> that's the long answer. Some say somebody has incontinence mm-hmm. and yes, you work, want to work directly with their pelvic floor because that just needs to get moving. But the other part of that is getting to work with other parts of their core because yeah. they need to learn to integrate that as they move in space with properly engaging their pel- pelvic floor or appropriately engaging their yeah. pelvic floor and breathing. Yes. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> they can't just hold their breath, do the thing and then keep going. Right.
1: And and I think that leads us really nicely into another population that we deal with quite a bit, which is competitive athletes. Mm-hmm. And you said, you know, tying everything in like from the foot and the breath to the pelvic floor. So, how can strengthening the pelvic floor help competitive athletes or lifters? And is there are there any like red flags that athletes and lifters should look for when it comes to their pelvic floor health?
2: Yes. So mm-hmm. As, as we touched on before, if you can do any kind of core strengthening and your pelvic floor doesn't move, but if mm-hmm. the driver behind the core work is the pelvic floor and you integrate a proper Kegel while you're doing your other pelvic floor work, it builds a better core. Yeah. So there's that. And this is about to sound like I'm slagging CrossFit and I'm not. I only see the people that have issues, right? Like all of the um, thousands of people who do CrossFit, who never have an issue, I am never going to see those people. So I do see people on occasion uh, using that population, but it would be the same with lifters, Mm -hmm. where their core can get to be so strong and tight that they make themselves incontinent. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a couple of people like that. And that they have developed an imbalance between their, the strength of their abs and their, and the strength of their pelvic floor. And so part of it is that they need to better engage their pelvic floor Mm -hmm. and probably they need to back off a bit on their abs. Like you, you shouldn't have to do laundry on your abs. You know, they don't have to be that tight to make them strong. Right. So, that's uh, true. Yeah. Well, CrossFit's come up on just about
0: uh, every podcast we've had because it's been around long enough and widespread enough. And all of us, like I, I worked at um, a sports clinic and any shoulder injury that came mm-hmm. in for a specific amount of time, uh, early 2000s, or sorry, no, no, a little bit later, doesn't matter. They The shoulder injury, we were like, was it yoga or was it CrossFit? Because you would be right. of the time and then occasionally that last two percent would be like a frozen shoulder issue because they fell on the ice six months ago didn't think it was anything and now they can't move their arm but mostly it was those two populations but it is really interesting to me because I remember back when I briefly did cross it there were a couple women who developed some incontinence and because it wasn't as well known like health of your pelvic floor wasn't as well known most of us had no idea what to do with that information because they weren't postpartum, like they never had kids, and they were super fit and otherwise healthy, and we didn't realize that there could be such a big discrepancy in terms of like overpowering with certain tissues and I guess in short, underpowering with
2: other ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You can see there are YouTube videos where they're interviewing people after their. Um, like in a CrossFit competition, and they're totally soaked down there. You can see it. But it's like the the couple that I've watched, it's like these women wear it as a badge of honor. Like they are so strong that they have developed this, and to them this is a good thing. So no, no it's not. No. No.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I competed in Strongman for years, which is CrossFit, but just heavier and less repetitions basically. Right. And – at every competition, I mean, at least one person poops himself a little bit, and uh. like you routinely see women on the deadlift events. Yes leaking, on, leaking the on the platform and we'll have to come up and clean it up so it's just one of those things and again it's just like oh they were just trying really hard yeah it's like
2: well you probably shouldn't be B- pooping peeing yourself. big bigger bit bigger problem than that yes yeah exactly <laughs> so let's
1: segue from that population and into the pregnancy and postpartum mm-hmm. population because we know that's a big part of the people that you see so do you recommend women do
2: pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy as a preventative strategy? Absolutely. And I hmm, I don't ever think of it as really a preventative strategy uh, yes. in terms of, of incontinence. I guess you mean prevention of Just incontinence. Just a
1: general strengthening. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is research to show that if you are strengthening your pelvic floor anytime, but certainly during pregnancy, it will help with delivery and recovery so even those women that have c-sections it it will still help with recovery yeah, um,
0: all those connective tissues
2: absolutely yes that stimulus yeah, yeah yeah so yes there it would be important for a woman who's pregnant to make sure that she is doing pelvic floor con- contractions properly engagement get to work on that and and build some strength mm-hmm during there in pregnancy, of course, the the body is putting on a large amount of weight in a small amount of time. So in most women, the abdominal muscles separate and give it, you know, four or six weeks after giving birth. And, and it often approximates back to where it was or close to it. And sometimes it doesn't. So, so the remaining gap that would remain is called a diastasis recti. And, uh, and so every postpartum woman should be tested for a diastasis. It's easy to do. They are not painful. It is just an inefficient core to more or less of a degree. If people have super wide gap that remains, and that is not common, I do not want to make it sound like it's common, but, but there are some women who it's so wide that they have to have that surgically approximated. Most of the time, If there is a a diastasis, they can do certain specific abdominal and oblique Mm -hmm. uh, exercises to help move that along. I will see people whose kids are 10 and they'll still have it, you know, so it's not a painful thing and there's no time limit. They can get to work on it any time. But I am with a diastasis. I am not just interested in the width uh, of any gap. I am very interested in the depth. Because there are people that might have just a couple finger width diastasis at their widest point, but you can push half your hand in there. Like there's no tension below. And what helps to get some tension back through that fascia is Kegels, Mm -hmm. pelvic floor. So... Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. the answer is yes. You need to work on it no matter what. <laughs> so we touched on ab separation. What are the major misconceptions that you encounter with regards to the pelvic floor in
2: any of your populations? Oh, interesting. I would say the biggest misconception is that men somehow are immune from having to yeah. strengthen and work on that. I, You know, as a, as a general comment, I'd, I'd like to think of pelvic floor or kegels doing exercises, not so much as exercises, mm-hmm. but more like hygiene, like, you know, I don't know you, but I know you're going to brush your teeth a couple times a day, you know what I mean? And even if you're super tired or super busy, it's still going to happen. Yeah. So I'd like people to get to the point that they think of their pelvic floor more like that, that it's yeah. hygiene and it's just something to stay on top of, proactively uh rather than reactively or rather than exercise so i guess that's that's a second misconception is that working your pelvic floor has to be part of a big involved regime Mm -hmm. you know you you can literally be really quite effective if you're just making a point of engaging those properly you know, even I'd love to say every day, but like a few times a week consistently would be great for most people. It doesn't have to be long and involved. It doesn't have to involve any equipment. It doesn't have to, uh, you know, I, I would say that your, your brain does need to stay involved, you know, Mm -hmm. like personal trainers, Work for the reason that they keep you present and focused and concentrating and they don't let you have too much rest and they give you appropriate resistance and you move ahead faster. And it is the same with anything. So if you're doing Kegels, it's important to, you know, not just be doing them while you're sitting at the red light or you're standing in line. You know, because I just think your brain is is elsewhere. Yeah. So you would get more bang for your butt. I mean, feel free to do them any of those places, but just you you really want to lift when you're lifting. You don't just want to bang off some because you have a moment.
1: <laughs> Sorry, just bang off some rags. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we agree we, we actually try to encourage people to like check in with their feet and their breath every day it's the kind of, or or at least like four days a week kind of thing but same thing with that tuning in like yeah. actually tuning in you're also an educator at uft's uh, physiotherapy program in the time that you've been doing that have you seen a change in, in terms of attendance or um, in terms of curiosity around that part of the program because you said that in And we've heard this before in um, general physiotherapy. There's not a whole lot of time spent on it. And even in the dissections I did in university, like I barely remember speaking about the pelvic floor and we did a very thorough dissection of the rest of the body over the course of a year. And anatomy was a massive course, again, over the course of two years. But yeah, that area, it was shocking how little time was spent on it. Absolutely. Absolutely and I don't think that's right but <laughs> yeah
2: well and it's changing they yes. are changing the curriculum and and with respect to the the curriculum in physiotherapy schools pelvic health ty- everybody needs to understand mm-hmm. the pelvic floor and how that works and certainly how that is important orthopedically if people are going on to see people to to work in musculoskeletal or orthopedic type work mm-hmm. they certainly need to know how to to integrate that and to ask the questions. Not everybody is going to be a physio who practices in pelvic health. Not everyone is interested in it. Some people, for any myriad of reasons, isn't comfortable talking to people about uh, their poo and pee and sexual positions and whatnot, and fair enough. So I can't see it ever being where you would be doing labs and you're practicing techniques on each other because in in all other parts of physiotherapy school, we practice techniques on each other, right? When we do the pelvic health courses, we practice techniques on each Mm -hmm. other, you know, but but in the general physio school population of students, I can't see that part being integrated, but they certainly need to understand the theory behind it. So when I do my, uh, my day of teaching at U of T each mm-hmm. year, I don't want to overstate because yes. it's with the senior physio students, but I am there in their lumbar spine unit to talk about the McKenzie system. Awesome. And so to answer your question, I have noticed in the past few years for sure, where we are there talking very much about the, the lower back and, and the McKenzie system. It is a system. So it's not just certain exercises or movements you would do. It's a whole system of assessment and treatment for people. And you can deal with any body part. Uh, I'm just there talking about the system as it relates to the lumbar spine. Mm -hmm. But it is mentioned when I'm introduced and I will always tie in pelvic floor to uh, talking about the spine for the reasons that we've already talked yeah. about great. and there are always now students that will come up to me during the the break or afterward and want to talk about pelvic floor specifically you know they're saying when I graduate that's the first courses I'm going to take yeah. are, are ones related to pelvic floor yeah
0: that's great just to spike more Curiosity, Like even if it's yeah. something that they decide, oh, I actually don't want to specialize in that, they'll still build their network and find someone who does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's great.
1: And so are there any good resources that you can name for people who are looking to learn how to do Kegels or strengthen their pelvic floor out there?
2: Yes. So there is a website called Pelvic Health Solutions. Okay. Uh, I think it is pelvichealthsolutions.ca. And that has a, a section for people with varying issues. You know, if you have incontinence, you know, there's you can read about some of that. If you want to know about Kegels, you can read about that. There's um, an Australian website called Pelvic Floor First. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's something like that, uh, and that has a lot of good education. Great. Yep. There's a website on menopause. Oh. It could be menopause.ca. Yeah.
0: We'll look it I can't up. Remember. Yeah. We'll, we'll find it. Out. Yes. Yeah, we there will you go. We'll find them. Um, also, good. So, we have a couple wrap up questions. In the last year, what's the most impactful book that you've read?
2: With respect to pelvic health?
0: Anything. No,
2: oh. anything. We actually have some people who've given us fictional ones just for fun. Oh, okay. See, that's, again, you think that's an easy story. Uh, because, <laughs> because uh, I, I, I've been a physio for a super long time but I've only had this clinic a couple of years mm-hmm. and so because it's my first couple of years of business I was just saying I went on vacation last week for the first time in in a long time mm-hmm. which is great but I don't read fiction I like to read and I haven't read fiction in the longest time because of mm-hmm. the obvious so you know I, I wish I knew that question was coming because I, I could probably I could probably think of a better answer. Um, what book did you just start reading? Did you just I buy? just okay. So last week when I was away on vacation, I you know the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series? Oh, yeah. yeah, so there's a new one that's come out by a different author because unfortunately the the original author Stieg Larson, he died yeah. and then there was another another author who who took over that same series and he so I just read the latest one it's pretty good there you go. Um, but before that, I I do a lot of of journal like reading of, of different journal articles. I try and yes. stay pretty yeah. up to date on the research. That is so that sadly that is kind of all that I read. I am reading the vagina Bible at go. the moment. There you go. <laughs> That's not sad. I I switched. <laughs> Um, I don't read the news, um, not to be
0: misinformed by anything. It's just, I found it too depressing. Sure. So I start my day by reading research because I find it is like very motivating Yeah. And I like it. Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> there you go.
0: so between having your own practice, being a mom as well, what is it that you do every day for your one thing of self-care?
2: I go to the gym or I, I yeah. exercise in some way every day exercise is or or movements whether I'm on my bike or I'm strength training or I do yoga I try and do something every day and yeah. when I first opened here I I will tell you I didn't have time I I tend to see people 8 to 8 and then you go home and family like I'm not going to leave again to yeah. go and do something so so I had several months where I did nothing and I was miserable. Mm. I felt gross and I just meant I was miserable. So my husband and I go to the gym at uh, about just after five in the morning, which is super painful, but there is not a day that I don't feel better having done it. Having
1: done it. Yeah. Hashtag move daily.
2: Yes. <laughs> we could agree more. We live by that. Yeah.
1: And so if you had five minutes with someone, what is the one thing you could try and impart to help them with their well being, might be exercise.
0: <laughs> might, yeah,
2: I, I would say sit less, move more. Fantastic. Just that alone.
0: And last but not
2: least, where can people find you? Ah, you can find me online at uh, elevation-physio.com. I am on Facebook, I am on LinkedIn, uh, I am on Instagram, and physically, you can find me in Mississauga at Elevation Physiotherapy and Wellness, which is near Dundas and Winston Churchill. Fantastic.
1: Fantastic indeed. (laughs) So Linda, you did not disappoint. Uh, Thank Thank you you. so much for coming on the podcast. You answered a lot of great questions there. I think there's a lot of great take home for the uh, listeners. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Still just two years into the practice. So best of luck with the business moving forward. And uh, we hope to have you on again. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.